great. We lift up your name. You are worthy of our praise. Glorious God. Beautiful Saviour. morning we just want to fall back into your arms and know that you are God, that you are good and we can trust you. Every day of my life I want to do that. And Lord that the words that you keep on reminding me of and keeps on running around in my head is that you are not the solution to my problems but you are the prize. You're the one I run towards. That I throw off what so easily entangles and I, and I pursue you and, and run towards you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are like that. We can know you like that. You are a good God, far above all things, but so intimate, closer than a brother. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Lord Jesus, so much. So this morning we declare right in this place that you are great. You are high and above. And we worship you. You're so good. We love you. And all the people said... Take a seat. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, isn't it? This is the place to be on a Sunday morning. I just love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, This morning I'm going to continue on in a series from 1 Corinthians called The Battle that Pastor Kyle introduced last week. And uh, we've got got some uh, various devices today that might go horribly wrong in in, uh, my my butcher's paper here, but let's, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens here. We're going to be focusing on 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses, uh, I think, 12 to 20. Um, But uh, it was an interesting thing. Uh, Pastor Kyle introduced this series to us as a leadership team some months ago. And uh, when he read out the title for this message, I, uh, well, the title is uh, Human Autonomy versus God's Authority. Now, when he read it out, I thought he said human anatomy. Uh, So it might have meant that you received a very different sermon this morning. Uh, He's a man, he's a woman. Uh, As my daughter says, this one has stuck hair, this one has flow hair. Uh, We might have received a very different message if I didn't get that right. But no, it's human autonomy. Autonomy. And what does autonomy mean? Autonomy means, uh, basically, if we split up the Greek word, it is autos or autos, which uh, is self, and nomos, which is rule. Auto, nomos, self, rule. Autonomy, self, rule. So by definition, autonomy is the ability to self-govern, which includes the ability to choose your own values and sense of what? matters, and then to make very important decisions about your own life according to those values. It sounds plausible, doesn't it? Good idea. We can choose our own values and then make decisions. I think it's a good idea. Nothing wrong with that. So on the other side, we have God's authority. God's authority. And where is God's authority? Uh, God's authority is wherever he has power and control. So simply, it's where God rules. So my simple working title for today, and I like simplicity, uh, for this battle that we're talking about is uh, self-rule versus God's rule. 
Self-rule versus God's rule. Which one will it be? Who's going to win this momentous showdown? I mean, really, it's a showdown of who's at the centre. Who's at the centre? Who's in control? Who is on the throne? Myself or God? You know, I remember when I was a kid uh, that I came under the wrath of my Sunday school teacher. Uh, he, he taught me, uh, well, obviously we went to Sunday school. He taught me a lot. Uh, he taught me about God's authority, I can tell you that. What happened was we went to Sunday school on a normal Sunday morning and we had uh, the normal worship. Uh, we had uh, the same plastic birthday cake that they would pull out every week with candles and sing happy birthday uh, to the kids. Uh, we broke off into classes like often. We do still in kids' church today. We read a Bible passage uh, to which there was questions and answers. Now, I answered the question, and I got it wrong. Uh, I got it wrong. As embarrassed as I was, I crossed out in my Bible the right answer, and I wrote my answer in there. (laughs) And then I showed my teacher, see, look, in my Bible it says this. Well, the Bible scholar, Sunday school teacher that he was, turned around in a second and he said, Revelations twenty two nineteen says, And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. And he didn't say another word after that. Now, can you imagine for an eight-year-old boy, that was kind of a bit scary. And I think I peed my pants. But what did I do? I put myself at the centre. I was writing the word for what I thought was going to work for me. I was adapting God's word to fit my needs, to, to rule my domain. And I got corrected as I should. And uh, I think I never said another word in class ever again. But this morning, as before we get into the passage at hand, I really want to establish this battle. I really really want to establish this battle between self-rule and God's rule. Self-rule and God's rule. And it's been around since the beginning. And I want you to keep in mind as we head to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in a moment. I want you to keep this battle in mind because it provides the background for where Paul is coming from. You see, in creation... In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the earth and everything in it. Well, you know this story. It's a good story. He created man and he created women. Out of you know, This is my story about anatomy here. There you go. That's enough about anatomy. And he said it was good after he created his creation and man and woman. And it was his creation was good and it functioned well under his rule. So in this little drawing here, we have God in the centre. And then we have his creation all around him. And then we have Adam over here. We have Eve. And eventually we had Cain. We had Abel. Ah, well, we can put all sorts of names around here. But God had creation And it was good. And he liked it. He was happy with it. 
He gave the man right to rule over his creation and he built relationship with people. He gave, he he said that for them to subdue it, to be fruitful and to use it for their purposes. But God was still God and he was in the centre. He was in the centre of all of his creation. And they were all connected to him. All things worked as intended and in relationship with one another. And in Genesis Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that he made and it was very good. It worked well under his rule. Now, he asked them to not do one little thing. And that was to eat of the tree of good and evil. He planted a whole beautiful garden pleasing to the eye and good for food. And he said, just don't eat from that one tree. You can have any tree, but not that one. It's the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Basically, if you eat of this tree, you will be as God. It's the tree that gives you wisdom to make decisions between right and wrong for yourself. It's the tree, uh, if you eat of this tree, you are making the decision that you want to rule. You want to rule. And you want to live in a life of self-sufficiency. And make yourself like God. And put yourself at the centre. So we know what happened. Eve went and ate of the tree. She put herself at the centre. And Adam soon followed suit. It's a bit of a change from this diagram, isn't it? God at the centre, everything revolving around him in beautiful dance of what he wants to do. And now we've changed the picture. Eve is at the centre of her world. Adam is at the centre of his world. Now he's got a whole lot of things going on around him as well. And what is good for Adam might be evil for Eve. And vice versa, in all the people around them. Eve was at the centre of self-rule. But we've all done that, haven't we? We've all done that. We've put ourselves at the centre and we've ignored God's commands and we've stolen away God's authority from our own life. It's such a prideful position. To stand in the centre of oneself, to secure one's own being and say, I'm going to live my life in self-sufficiency and I'm going to make my own choices between right and wrong. And in that place, we become the judge and we decide to determine what is right and wrong for me and what's best for me, 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 me. Effectively, we are trying to live as God in charge of our own destiny. And the problem with that is that we end up, as we said, in worlds of collision between this person and that person because each person is seeking their own good. My good becomes your evil and we run into conflict. Self-rule. 
It doesn't work very well, does it? And this is the place we find ourselves in. This is where we find ourselves in, this place, before we know Jesus. But then we find faith in Jesus and his death and his resurrection breaks sin's hold on us and thus begins the process of restoring back God's rule and bringing it back to this circumstance. That's where Jesus, what Jesus does. So when we come to repentance, there is a radical overhaul of the life of Paul Tucker. We'll put your name there. Radical overhaul. A shift back to God's rule, putting him at the centre. I have to lose my rights, my security, my self-rule, my self-reliance. And he is bringing us back to a place where he reigns, where he is at the centre. Bringing us back to what was intended in the Garden of Eden, where God was at the centre. You know, I love this thought from C.S. Lewis. He says this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in such a way that it hurts deeply and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here and he's putting on an extra floor there and he's running up towers and he's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a nice little decent cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. God is building himself a kingdom. With him at the centre and this process of sanctification and reconstruction of the way we think and act will go on until the day we die. Until we get our new bodies, this is the future we look forward to. This is what we see. God at the centre. And as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So everything we do now is conditioned by the fact that we are now under God's rule in his new kingdom. And this new kingdom is where the spirit, God himself, has deposited in us a guarantee of what is to come. So we can live like the people of the kingdom today. And that's why we can have authority over Satan. That's why we can pray in faith. Because the things of the end times are ours today. Amen? That's why we need to view everything under this lens. God's rule. God at the centre. And us in submission to that. In this place I have been freed from securing my own life and placing myself in the driver's seat. And I'm falling back into the arms of God and I'm trusting him to secure me. We allow Jesus to shatter all of our securities and leave us naked in the presence of God. And he just says, trust me. Trust me. 
Trust me and enter into this life under my rule as it was always intended to be. Where you are moving in this dance around me. I just love this idea of us working in this dance around the Lord. In perfect submission to one another, just like the Trinity. He says, trust me. Let me rule. So this is the battle we face. To live like people under the rule of God rather than under self-rule. And this is where now we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. And here there are three issues. There's three issues that we're looking at uh, in, these, in these chapters. We're only going to be focusing on one of them. But our friend Chloe, as we heard last week, she's the tattletale. She told us about these things. She told Paul about these things. And uh, that was an incestuous relationship in chapter 5 that was going on. And then there was a Christian brother taking another brother to a normal court and doing it in the view of community. And in our passage today, there is sexual immorality specifically with prostitutes. So these are a whole bunch of things that were going on in the church. And Paul is saying, come on, we need to address these things. Don't you know that you are people under God's rule? You were bought with a price. You cannot live like you did before. It could be so easy to take a simple view of these passages and kind of of just say, uh, of course these things are wrong. Of course sexual immorality is wrong. Of course uh, incestuous relationships is wrong. Of course. But Paul is using these as examples between the battle between God's rule and self-rule that the Corinthian church was in. And he was frustrated. He was saying, God, as God's people, you are set apart. You are bought with a price into this new relationship through Jesus. You are filled with the Spirit. Why are you still living like you are in charge? Self-rule. Ruling your own domain. And I believe God is asking us the same questions today. Let's read the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that you are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. 
So Paul starts by quoting these three slogans. Uh, common sayings of the time that we can see in, in inverted commas. And then he qualifies them. I have the right to do anything. That's one slogan for the Corinthians. And then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. And then they say again, I have the right to do anything. And Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then Paul just says, and you keep on saying, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. You know, we have, we have slogans too. We've got things that we say is, you know, important for our lives, like life is short, live it to the full. If it feels good, do it. Or from the TV commercial when I was a kid, uh, for the most important person in the world, you. Or my personal favourite, I walk around like everything's fine, but deep, deep down, inside my shoe, my sock is sliding off. <laughs> Sayings and slogans like, you know, might be helpful for quick inspiration and quick wit, almost sounding proverbial, but they're so often open to misinterpretation. Taking things too far and out of context. And in this case, this passage, these slogans for the Corinthian church are almost inviting people to sin. Come on, let's go. Life is short. Let's, let's enjoy this. Let's sin while we still have time. If I have freedom in the spirit, because they were Christians, it's not like they were away from God. They were Christians. If I have freedom in the spirit, well, I can do whatever I want. That's the kind of things that they were saying. And in the case of the Corinthian church, these slogans were almost completely based on putting self at the centre. Self right at the centre. And twice they say, I have the right to do anything. And then they say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, God will destroy them both. And the latter was really referring to the common thinking at the time that your body and your spirit uh, were separate. You could do whatever you wanted with your body and you could still have an active spiritual life. But Paul is saying when, when you come to know God, you came under his rule, both your body and your spirit. They are not separate. So whether it's sexual, sexual immorality, whether it's gluttony, whether whatever it is, your body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see, these Corinthian Christians really wanted a foot in both camps. The issue of prostitution has come up here because it was common practice in the temples of the Greek gods. Uh, there were temple prostitutes. So men might come to church on Sunday and worship in the spirit, but because they viewed their bodies as separate, they could unite with a prostitute during the week and everything was okay. But Paul is saying, never, no way, never. If you are members of Christ's body, you cannot in intentionally unite with sin also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And then in verse 17 it says, But whoever is in, united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. One. Our bodies and our spirit are one with Christ. They are not separate. They are together. 
So no longer is staying away from sin about right and wrong and what's going to keep you in or out of heaven. It's about how does God rule in this area? How does he rule? How do I put him at the centre so I involve myself in his kingdom, in this wonderful dance so, so we can enjoy God and his people? Paul is really saying here, I really want you to change your questions and your perspective and your slogans. The questions of self-rule and God's rule are different. No longer should you be asking questions like, is this the right or wrong thing? Or what are the extremes of what is permissible for me to do? How far can I go and, and still not sin? How far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend and, and, and still be okay with God? How fast can I drive a car uh, and, and not get caught? If it's three or four kilometres over, is that okay? Because I know they round down. Or is it okay to invest in morally questionable companies if I give my 10% to the church? These are questions for people that are putting themselves at the centre of self-rule. Where they're not seeking to be one with Christ, invited into this beautiful dance that he is inviting us into, and with him at the centre. They are seeking self-gratification with a spiritual backup plan. And that Paul's saying, that's just not on. Just not on. And in one way or another, we've all asked questions like this, haven't we? How far can I go? How can I stay out of, just out of sin? Or maybe if I blur the lines and nobody knows, is that okay? But Paul really wanted them to change their questions, to ask God-centred questions. God-centred questions. And these are based on 1 Corinthians 12. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So the questions in a God-centred life would be something like, is this beneficial for my life in God with him at the centre? Is this thing is this position in life, is this thing that's going on around me, is, is this job, is this thinking, is it beneficial for my life in God with him at the centre, in this beautiful dance, in this moving around of what God is doing in bringing us into his kingdom? Is this beneficial? The second question is, is this beneficial for the body of Christ? Because as I said before, sometimes... It, what is my good, if we're putting self at the centre, what is, what is for my good might be for your evil. But if I'm just saying, well, it's for me, then, you know, we've, we've broken relationships straight away. Or we've got a difficult relationship. No wonder we've got so much independence in our society because we're not trying to... We can't lay ourselves down for one another. It's so much harder. Is this beneficial for the body of Christ? My brothers and sisters, you know, around me, my family, my friends, my community, that we may all operate in mutual submission to, to each other as the Trinity does and for the betterment of the kingdom of God. And the third question is, is God in control of this or does it control me? Is God in control of this or does it control me? Is this thing getting the better of me? This thinking, this way forward, is it getting the better of me? Because as a spirit-filled child of the king, the only thing that should master me or rule over me is God. 
Not sex, not food, not money, not power. Only God. Is this thing getting the better of me? Is God in control of this or does it control me? These are the questions for us today to use as people under God's rule. So I thought it might be helpful to take these questions and run them through a current public square issue. Especially one that is kind of neither right or wrong because it's so often in the grey areas that we find it so much harder to answer the difficult questions at times. So we know that AI or artificial intelligence is on the rise and there's many questions about uh, what it will do to society. Is it helpful? Is it ethical? Uh, Will it run the world and steal all our jobs? These are very real questions that some are even facing right now. Specifically, I want to consider ChatGPT this morning, which, as most of you would know, it's a language processing tool driven by AI technology that allows us to have human-like conversations with a computer. ChatGPT can answer questions and assist you with tasks, such as composing emails or essays and coding. It can give you recipes if you want it, and it can even prepare a message to preach. And uh, no, I have not used this for this purpose. There are many questions about its moral, ethical and spiritual emphasis because it's effectively harnessing this huge amount of information on the internet. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. And by very complex AI processing, making decisions on what is most likely to be true or applicable to the situation. You know, a friend once uh, recently said to me, chat GPT is like a very smart friend that can get things wrong. That's a helpful way to think. Or another friend said, chat GPT is like a cow that you feed a lot of information which it chews on. Sometimes you get beautiful milk and other times you get poo. Now, it's not explicitly sinful to use these things. Which, if it was, it would exclude our use for sure. If it was obviously sinful, obviously against God's word, yes, 100%, draw a line. But in this case, it's not about whether it's right or wrong, but how can this help us to put God at the centre or not? And so, therefore, we interact with it. So I'm going to... uh, So in my freedom today, I have... uh, I'm going to apply the questions to this from my perspective. So the first question is, is using chat GPT beneficial for my life in God with him at the centre? That's the question I'm asking. Is it beneficial for me? And I would say for me, for the most part, it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial. It's not going to help me put God at the centre. And the reason I would say this because... It may be helpful for me in my daily life as a pastor or business owner. It might be helpful to tighten up my language, to give me different perspectives. But I know right now God is doing a growing work in me to build my capacity to communicate at multiple levels and to seek a greater understanding of his word. So what I'm saying is that at this stage, I could use it to potentially cheat my way through a work God is trying to do in me. 
So therefore, it's not me putting it, God, at the centre. It's putting myself at the centre if I was to start using it because God is currently doing a work in me and I'm realising that, I'm understanding that. So it's not about whether it's right or wrong anymore. It's what is putting God at the centre, God's rule versus self-rule. So in general, I'm going to stay away from it for now. And to answer the question about mastery, uh, I believe it may have the ability to control me rather than I control it at this stage. So I, I will not use it at this stage. Now, is ChatGPT beneficial for the body of Christ? Well, I think there's great possibility for it. There's great uses for the body of Christ to build community as long as it's always uh, God at the centre and it's not in control. A friend of mine, a young marketing genius, a crazy sold-out Christian, he posted this on Facebook the other day. And he said, Chat GPT is rewriting my life stories. That's how he titled it. And he goes on to say, I use a life planner from Donald Miller which, that, that has a write-your-own-eulogy component, which is kind of like you plan out your life and you write your eulogy and then you work backwards from there to today to see what, how you want to live from a spiritual point of view. However, learning from another Christian author, I have since pivoted that part of the planner into a well-done statement, which is an imagination of my first conversation with Jesus when I get to heaven. Like many things that I create, I've gone through dozens of versions with this 3,000-word piece, chopping and changing it almost every day as I read it back. It never felt finished. I don't think it ever will be because our beautiful lives are never, never a straight line. Until ChatGPT takes my eulogy to the next level by giving it these prompts. And so he wrote, gives ChatGPT his eulogy and he writes in these prompts. He says, rewrite my well done statement in the voice of the NLT in the Message Bible. And then another one, he says, have Abraham, the patriarch, comment on my well-done statement over coffee in heaven from a multi-generational perspective. And then the third one, get the Apostle Paul to rewrite my well-done statement with, with the voice in 2 Timothy, where he's seeming, seemingly writing his last words to Timothy. As I am re-narrating my life story every day with AI, in a weird way I am artificially experiencing the vast abundance of God's amazing depth. I don't think this is theologically correct, but I am certainly enjoying the playing biblical mind games with myself. Now, whatever you think about that, whether that's right or wrong, for him, he is trying to open up his understanding of what God might say to him. So he's using a tool and he's wrestling with it and making sure it doesn't master him. He's very aware of it. So for my friend, is it beneficial? I would say yes, at this point in time, it's beneficial. To give him a different perspective on life's well-done statement and helping him to adjust his life today more in line with God's plan for him. But the key thing that he is really aware of is Chat's GPT's ability to master him. He's well aware of it's artificial, that it's artificial and it's not spiritual and that it may not be entirely correct. 
So he continually takes these things into account. But he is also aware it is helpful in widening his perspective and allowing God to speak from different angles and to deepen his approach and center his thoughts around God. You see how we can ask these questions. Rather than saying, is this right or wrong? Of course, there's some things that are right or wrong. We can ask these questions. Is this beneficial for my life in God with him at the centre? Is this beneficial for the body of Christ where we start to move around in this beautiful dance that God has called us to with him at the centre? Am I in control of this? Or does it control of me? Take control of me? Is God in control of this? Or does it control me? If I can have the worship team come up. So to finish today, I just want to read to you the last two verses in this passage today. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you are in God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. You know, in recent months, we have been encouraged that the Holy Spirit is a person who dwells within us. And he seeks to fill us and fill his temple. We cannot have more of the Holy Spirit. He can only have more of us. And we know that we have been purchased at a price by the death and the resurrection of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for that. So we're not our own anymore. We are not our own. We have been brought into this beautiful life in Christ and so therefore we seek with everything we have to honour God with our physical body and our spirit person. No longer are we fighting for our own benefit to get our own way. But in submission to God and one another, we are lifting Jesus higher. Amen. No longer are we projecting our worship towards God, like kind of pushing it up there. God, I worship you, I worship you. I'm kind of pushing worship towards him. Like if we yell loud enough or, or do the right thing every time, we might get the ear of God. No, we are interacting and dancing around the person of God. I kind of see it like a Jewish bar mitzvah where they're all kind of dancing around in circles like this. But they're enjoying it, they're one to another, around the person of God, with one another, interacting with God and Him. God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and, and working together in this beautiful dance of what God has intended. Although my dear friend Robin, who says it's not like a Jewish bar mitzvah dance, it's more like a slow waltz. Slow it down and do it together. And I like that picture as well coming together as the body of Christ around the person of God. Interacting with Him. No longer is it about right or wrong to keep me in or out of heaven. It's about what is, what, how do we lift Jesus up? How do we put Him at the center where He rules? People of God at Clayton Church of Christ, we need to allow God to rule. Amen? In our lives our church through and through in and out up and down to God be the glory to God be the glory
So this morning, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up at the start of the worship team, uh, worship time. And you can come at any time if you see fit. But specifically today, I'm just uh, wanting to speak to the people that feel like they've got a foot in both camps. A foot in both camps. Oh yeah, you want God to rule in your life, but there's still a whole lot of self. You want to lay that down this morning. You want God to take his rightful place. We would love to pray with you at the front. Otherwise, anybody who doesn't know the Lord as their personal saviour and wants to enter into this kind of relationship which is putting Jesus at the centre, God at the centre, and start to move into this interaction of what he is drawing us into and calling us into, we would love you to take that step today. We can lead you in a prayer that opens up the kingdom of God. But really just for anyone at any time to come forward, remember the altar is a place of prayer, worship and thanksgiving. And it's not an omission of guilt. Come forward and seek.